Hello, this is Johnny Klein, and thank you for your continued support following, listening to, and being a part of the community on the pursuit of wealth, where the H is surrounded by abundance. We continue to have inspiring conversations on deep health from naturopathy to journeys of triumph and resilience to nutrition, NLP, uh, fitness, mindfulness, mindset, an abundant way of healthy living. Some podcasts coming up, including art therapy, trauma release, naturopathy, and a lot of other interesting and amazing topics. So keep on the lookout for that. Let us know what you want to see or hear on the pursuit of wealth by messaging us or commenting on any of our social media platforms. Now tune in to today's episode where we talk about another deep health, nutritious conversation. Welcome to the pursuit of wealth where the H is surrounded by abundance. Today our guest is Kelly Butler. Now, Kelly is a comeback coach, empowerment coach, and a woman that has been empowered by a lot of her life experiences. From working for a high-level Tech 100 company to then having her life set back, she was able to overcome her difficulties and redefine her life and the lives of many others. Kelly's 18th month journey took her from a wheelchair and walker to a first time ultra endurance athlete. She traversed Zion National Park, hiking 43 miles in just two days against all the odds. Additionally, she hiked over 500 of those miles while training. Kelly's personal struggles and lessons have placed her in a unique position to help others realize that although their physical bodies may have changed, who they are on the inside is perfect and waiting to be released, uncovered, and expressed. Kelly uses her corporate mentoring background of 20 years to lead women through their journey of rediscovery. You can find her on Instagram at Your Comeback Coach. You can also find her on the Facebook group, Comeback Thrivers. Now let's get in our conversation with Kelly. I, I didn't know what to expect going into this. We often hear, you know, the empowerment coach. And I think you demonstrated yourself in a way that your story and your mission and the life that you bring really just captivated uh, myself. I'm not one to be captivated easily <laughs> and to be um, vulnerable in the sense of being emotional too often. Usually my time is captured in one place or another and I try to switch often, but your video just, there was something about you that just mesmerized and I mean that in the most wonderful sense of being from a place of something that happened that wasn't expected, leaving, well, being in a corporate career of 20 years, leadership position in a tech company, which is already competitive, high stress, high level. I mean, you got to know, you got to have wit, you got to be determined on that front. Um, also having a beautiful, wonderful family. And then something through your story that was shaken. Um, Mind Valley and Vision, which I 
refer to this a lot. Uh, we call it um, Satori and Kensho moments. I don't mm. know if you're familiar. So it's the Japanese style of sense of suffering. Satori is very long, drawn out. It's a slow burn, just feeling of maybe it's without purpose, without um, a, a life that you wanted. And it's just a feeling of stuckness. Kensho moments are a place of immediate shaking, shaking up for the most growth and the quickest growth that you can offer or that the universe can offer. And I see with that Kensho moment, for you, it was not unsure. But through you, you decided, this is not going to bring me down. Maybe a few times. But ultimately, you said, this is not. I'm going to rise above. I'm going to be an absolute for myself, for my family, for bring you to that place of just determination. Yeah, it was... Uh... It was in just in, thank you, thank you. First of all, I'm so humbled by your words and and how you reacted when you watched the introductory uh, video, which I feel is really true to myself and and my story. But um, it was <clears throat> it was a shocking sensation to lose control over my body and really um, have that sensation of. You know, you're, you take for granted that your brain is going to send signals and your body will move accordingly, taking a step forward, sitting down, wiggling your fingers, wiggling your toes, going throughout a million and a half tiny motions that we go through every single day. And like many people, I had taken that movement for granted. And so I had a virus and then what happened is I just experienced the best that I can describe it is just a profound weakness that started in my lower body and my ankles and was working its way up each day. And I started to have to hold on to furniture to move around the house and just sort of felt like my legs were going to give out from under me. And I was even dropping glasses because I wasn't able to grasp the cup mm -hmm. and I have to say, um, yes, the, the overall, this experience was a spiritual growth for me, and it was an incredible turning point in my life. But at that moment, when it was first happening, I was in utter denial. I was, the day that I went to the ER when I could no longer stand on my own, I was working that morning. I was on conference calls. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was difficult for me to come to grips with what was happening to my body. And I knew it wasn't right. I knew I needed to get to the hospital, but I was afraid to really fully open my eyes to the potential diagnosis and what was happening. And really admitting that I was in a state of paralysis where I could barely move. It's, it's funny, isn't it? How detached we become from our bodies on a, on a regular daily basis. And we just think, Oh, I'm just, I'm going through the motions and I'm just going to, I'm going to do this thing. And, you know, even something as simple as hunger signals and satiety, it's just like, no, 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 I, I've got control of this. Right. And so I don't have time for this. I'll deal with it later, I think is the mantra for so many people. And it just finally, ultimately, when we have things go wrong with our bodies, our bodies decide, no, no, I think you need to do this now, right? 
Oh, yes, absolutely. There was no, <laughs> there was uh, no bargaining with my body, no negotiation at that point in time. And I really just had to surrender to it. And by the time I went to the hospital, I was having trouble speaking and even chewing as that paralysis starts to work its way up the body. And we knew that it was very urgent to get to the hospital because many patients who experience what I was experiencing end up having to be intubated and their, their muscles uh, in the lungs are not able to respond to be able to take breaths and breathe, um, you know, of the body's own accord. So it was extremely scary and it was right at the beginning of the pandemic. And so my husband was not able to accompany me inside the hospital. And so I was in a wheelchair and I'm sitting in the ER waiting to be called. And they're telling me they're going to take me back for a spinal tap and all these really scary procedures that I'd never done before. And I was on my own, you know, during this time. And I just remember being a feeling of panic as I was lying in the hospital bed and I was not able to reach over and press the button to get a nurse. And in that moment, I felt so helpless and um, it was just this incredible um, feeling of just a very terrifying sensation. And so ultimately through that battery of tests, I was diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is a debilitating neurological condition where the coating around the nerves in the body become damaged. And usually it's caused by, in my case, a virus that happened leading up to this. And the body thinks it's still fighting the virus, but in actuality, it's fighting itself and damaging the coating around the nerves that enables those signals to come through. And I felt like I had been dropped into the body of a 95 year old woman overnight. I, I could uh, barely move and um, I could lift my hands up just a few inches. And, um, but my doctors were telling me it could be up to three years for me to, to fully recover from this episode. And, and my body in essence had forgotten how to walk. It was not just oh, I, weakness, like all, you know, feel better after I get some rest and I'll just give this some time. It's literally the body does not know how to walk, how to lift the feet up. Um, and so I was having to relearn those movements. And those you, connections were just lost. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I, it's amazing. Um, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, but Guillain-Barre is a, is an autoimmune condition, right? Yes, it is. Um, did you ever have, I know it seemed almost overnight, but there were symptoms leading up to it. Um, how long did those last? And then I guess my other question is, do they understand what caused it? Um, you said it was a virus, but uh, yeah, I'm just curious. Yes. So this was right at the beginning of the pandemic. And I believe what I had was COVID, but there were no tests available during that time. It was so early on. So even the hospital didn't have any tests. Mm -hmm. And so I was having all of the classic symptoms, the shortness of breath, the severe fever, body aches, all of those types of things. I was tested for flu, which was negative. And I went to the hospital with shortness of breath. And the doctor said, look, I think you have COVID, but your lungs look fairly good. I think you can recover at home. And so um, I did go home and thankfully was able to recover there. And I was just thinking, I'm just going to recover from this virus and I'm going to feel better. And um, so part of the symptoms that were happening really was that weakness that started coming on. That was 
truly the primary symptom. But I was so confused because COVID at that time was still being studied, still being understood. Italy at that time was the hotbed. And because this was in March of 2020. And so I thought this, this weakness was a residual from, from COVID. And so I thought that it was just taking me a really long time to get over it. And, and finally, I called the doctor and I said, look, is this normal that I'm still, I'm feeling this big weakness. And they said, you need to go to the neurologist, but, and I did make the appointment, but it turns out I couldn't wait for that appointment before I needed to go to the hospital beforehand. But it was really that profound weakness was, was the symptom. Okay. Had you ever had any like autoimmune issues before that? I had tested borderline on a couple, um, Sjogren syndrome and, um, you know, borderline earlier in my life. And I had also had Lyme disease when I was in my early thirties as well. Although there was no connection through the course of this journey that, that truly connected the two, but, you know, I had a history of, of longer term Lyme disease with some neurological side effects with that. Okay. As a bit of preview, um, Julie also has an autoimmune. So with her curiosity she's bringing up these little um quite important underlying questions uh yeah because once you have an autoimmune condition it's you're a much more likely candidate for others of course because your immune system is already somewhat compromised which is why which is why i ask um i also know that guillain-barre is a side effect of not only or has been connected as a side effect of not only COVID, but also the, the vaccine. I know a couple of people who've ended up with it as a result of the vaccine. So I, I was just, you know, it, as much for our listeners interest, as much as personal curiosity, because, you know, how do these things come about? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and as we said, if we, if we ignore the things our body is telling us, but again, our medical system doesn't really have it isn't set up to deal with that. I have these vague symptoms. Well, go home and come back when they're more serious, right? <laughs> exactly. Especially yeah. fatigue or weakness. I yeah. mean, it's just, you can't get more general, you know? I mean, it's yeah. very, it is, it's difficult to, to get a handle on that and understand what those really mean. Yeah, for sure. When, when you were, when you were looking for some answers, I mean, obviously you had to have answers right now at, at the point you had reached, but did, do you feel like you got the, the right care? I mean, obviously you're, you're recovered and, and doing well, but I know I, I, I want to hear so much more about your journey. It's like, I have a million questions, but do you, do you feel like you had access to really good care for that once it was diagnosed? I felt a lot of frustration, as I'm sure many of your listeners do, um, if they're on a similar journey or they have something undiagnosed or that they're not presenting with a case that looks exactly textbook. And my case was not textbook either. And so when I was in the hospital, they said, look, we we believe you have Guillain-Barre syndrome and we're going to start you on treatment right away, which in essence is to give me donor antibodies Uh, through plasma treatments to flush out the bad antibodies that were confused and fighting themselves and replace those with healthy donor antibodies. And so that was a a six day hospital stay to have uh, that treatment administered. But then 
when I left the hospital and I wasn't able to go home because I could not lift my foot to climb one stair, much less the 17 stairs in my home that lead up to a bathroom where I would, um, you know, need to bathe. And so I did, we'll talk about it, I'm sure, uh, shortly, but I rehabbed at my mother's house, but during that time I was getting infection after infection, after infection. Now keep in mind, this is during the lockdown. So people are not seeing one another. I mean, we're really just seeing immediate family and I would have a mask on when my husband and my sons came to visit me and I was still getting sick. So, um, I was running, I think I counted around 30 days of fever. And I mean, the kind where you're just curled up in a ball and just convulsing and, um, a lot of body aches. And so here it is that my body is trying to come back from Guillain-Barre syndrome, but then also I keep getting these repeated infections. And so I was seeing an infectious disease doctor. I saw a rheumatologist. I was in close touch with a neurologist. I sought a second opinion from another neurologist. And so I was seeing several doctors and then I wound up also uh, going to a functional medicine doctor as well, a bit later in my journey. And, you know, which revealed some, you know, a, an, another path for me that aided significantly in my recovery. I'm, I'm a big proponent of functional medicine doctors. I see one myself because of the Hashimoto's and the chronic pain. So I can, I can, I, you're making me cheer in the background <laughs> about that. Well, they give you a completely different perspective uh, from the main medical system and also a different pathway to health, looking at your holistic profile um, in deep health, as we talk about not only your symptoms, but also the causes of those symptoms, also your work life, your personal life, um, your family history, your gene history, all plays a part in it um, in determining what kind of health status you have and your resiliency or potential resiliency to overcome that, as well as your mental uh, performance, which are all things that are just not given cared attention for in the main medical system throughout the world. I think that trend is changing. I see it. We see it um, very obviously since we're in this, um, but it's something that the more mainstream public is becoming aware of. And honestly, for personalized healthcare, it is a way. Um, what, what do you think really was the turning point in your healing? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I'm, a, I feel like I'm a goal oriented person. That's just, I've probably have always been that way to an extent. And I was two days out of the hospital and a friend of mine had posted on Facebook about this organization called Project Athena. I'd never heard of it. And so I, I was on my phone and I went out and took a look at it and I was immediately hooked and inspired. And this is a nonprofit that was created by Robin Benincasa, who's an elite world adventure racing athlete. And she created this organization to help survivors live their adventurous dreams. And so basically you apply for a grant. If you've been through a major medical setback and if you are accepted, you're able to choose between these different adventurous journeys within the US and you complete those journeys with other survivors and supporters and celebrate your comeback together. And 
when I read about that, I just decided right then in that moment that I was going to do this. And I saw some pictures from Zion National Park out in Utah, and I was blown away by the scenery. It's somewhere I've always wanted to visit. And but this was an ultra marathon hike. So 45 miles over two days. And honestly, it was a ridiculous goal for me. I have been a little bit overweight, probably most of my adult life. I would sleep through my workouts. And I, when I was in second grade, I was getting a headache at the same time every day before the principal called my mom and said it was during PE class. And so I didn't like to sweat. I didn't want to be the center of attention. And so you know, I, I was not before I was ill, somebody that you might identify as an athlete. And so, but that goal was something bigger than me. And it was something I'd never done. And I recognized that my daily goals were going to be something like, you know, sit up for 10 minutes, be able to, uh, you know, stand in the shower for, for 10 seconds or what have you. And, and these were, these were my goals, but those did not excite me. I needed something that I had a burning desire and excitement to go do. And the other thing was, I was so overcome by the support of my family and my friends that I wanted to wrap this goal with an exercise and profound gratitude. And so I decided that somehow when I got to Zion, that I would dedicate each mile to someone who had uplifted me on my journey. And I wasn't able to write during that time, but as I was able to write a few words at a time, I, I started writing down names and I journaled about that every day when I could. And I wanted to make sure to remember those who were touching me in that way and um, make sure to include them in this big audacious goal. I love that you even include, uh, you included the doctor that told you, you can't do it after yeah. three years. And he, he's the one that laughed at you and you even gave him the gratitude. It just shows your determination, but also your love and those that motivated you to go forward. Thank you. And you know, I, in my work, I help other survivors to celebrate their own comebacks in mind, body, and spirit. And I'm doing a talk inside my Facebook group actually later this week about the beauty of the underdog and the story of the interaction with my neurologist at that time is something that I'm going to speak more about during that. But really it's choosing how to take those comments from others comments and feedback from other people are neither good or bad it's how you choose to accept those and so i told him what i was going to do i was wrapping up an appointment in the office and he left and left the room and so instead of saying i chose to see that as fuel I chose to let that pour gasoline <laughs> on my fire for doing this. And, um, and I just tried to, to tell myself, look, the biggest joy is going to be to write him and let him know what I've been able to accomplish and to thank him for the role that he played in my recovery. And I was able to write him a letter, letting him know that since I had last seen him, that I had hiked 500 miles and uh, that I was going to, you know, complete this ultra marathon. And I dedicated a mile to him. 
And, uh, but I tell you of the, the 40 plus calls, emails that I made, letters, that one was pro probably the most joyful uh, of all of them because he was, he was part of that gasoline on the fire. One of the things that I really love are inspirational stories about people who have triumphed over something difficult, but none of those stories take the journey in a straight line. There are lots of uphills, downhills, loops back, you know, two steps forward, three steps back kind of thing. And so, so, I mean, how, how was that for you? What were some of the setbacks that you faced and, and how, you know, how that did that affect your journey, I guess? Yes. What a great question. And it's so true. I was nodding my head vigorously <laughs> as you were making those comments and, you know, with the, the people that I work with my clients, I often describe it as a, like, it's like a stock market graph that you look at and you, you want to see that overall trajectory going up over time, but in the moment you feel that dip so, so profoundly, and it can get very discouraging. But again, I, I tried my best. I didn't always succeed, but I tried to see it and recognize it as a dip. And um, part of my personality is, you know, I really, I want to be going up all the time, you know, those dips, I don't, I don't have time for that. I don't want that. Right. <laughs> but I was listening to my husband and I remember I was on a, on my walker and my husband was so supportive and he would get out and, and walk with me down the driveway, just a few steps or as much as I could muster. And then we celebrated when I could make it to the mailbox and, so he would walk with me a little bit and, but he noticed that I was trying each day to like double my distance. <laughs> he said, honey, wait, like you got to dial it back because what happens is I would come back into the house and I would be so upset and frustrated that I was so exhausted. And then the next day I wasn't able to do anything. Right. And so I really had to, um, sort of control the flow of energy and, and control that even I felt like in the moment doing more that I had to step back and take a look at the long term mm -hmm. of where I was trying to go and that I couldn't do so much today that I was going to jeopardize tomorrow. And that was hard. That was a really hard thing. And um, I also feared a a relapse of some sort, which is uncommon with GBS, but I, I did experience a relapse. And so I was about four months out and I was walking independently, which was just so euphoric that I could put my cane aside and be able to, to again, walk on my own. And I was walking up and down the street and just feeling great about my recovery. But the weakness returned and I again lost the ability to walk on my own. I was back in the hospital for another week, another round of treatment. And then that sets off a lot of other fears. How many times will this happen? Is this really a chronic condition? Will I be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life? And so those, those ups and downs were definitely physical, but more so they were mental and how I chose to see what was happening, if I allowed myself to feel those fears, but not allow the fears to rule my behavior and my overall outlook. And um, so, you know, there were, there were physical and mental dips in that journey, but 
I, I felt the whole time that there were lessons that I needed to learn that were being presented to me. And some of them I could see at the time and some of them were revealed just, you know, along the way and still are in, in many cases. But I, I never stopped looking for those lessons because I thought this was happening for me in some way. One of the other mistakes we tend to make in our society is that I can do this on my own. I don't need to ask for help. And, and asking for help is somehow looked at as a weakness or something to be ashamed of. And it really isn't. I mean, we're coaches. We try to communicate this to people all the time, right? But but how how did you finally allow yourself to open up to that need and actually learn to ask? And where did that come from? Yes. So I feel that one of the lessons I needed to learn was to ask for help. That was something that I was not very uh, open to and very good at because I found a lot of pride in being independent. Mm -hmm. And that was, it used to be a source of pride for me. And so at this point, the universe is sort of showing me, okay, you're flat on your back. You literally cannot move. Now, what are you going to do? Right. And so uh, there really wasn't any choice. I had to depend on others around me, like my mom, who for weeks was a close to a full-time caretaker for me. And it was difficult because there were things uh, I was not able to actively parent, you know, during that time for my sons, because even cognitively holding a conversation for more than a few minutes or even thinking through all the things that they were doing and how I could be helping them, there just wasn't enough energy there. So I was leaning in on my husband in a tremendous way, and he he was holding down the fort in all aspects of the word. And, you know, with our, we had our basement was flooding and he was dealing with that. And then he was parenting with the boys full time at home doing school, you know, learning at home during the pandemic. He was cooking their meals. He was, you know, keeping the household running. And then also later, you know, caring for me too. And while he was working full time. So it was a tremendous strain on him, but in many ways, it strengthened our relationship in the long term. And when you take those vows of in sickness and in health, it sh it shine a completely different light on that when it actually happens in your home and in your relationship. And so my husband and my mom were two that I was leaning into um, in a huge way. And I'm not generally the hugest fan of Facebook, but I decided that I was going to use it as a tool. And that tool was going to be for connection. And so I, I did openly share, I shared videos, photos, a story, you know, stories of what I was going through. And I was able to connect with people, even if I hadn't spoken to them in a long time, I was craving that type of connection. And during the lockdown, when we weren't seeing people and I was too immunocompromised to really have any visitors that gave me, you know, a way to, um, to connect and, I was also seeking um, some meditation, some uh, listening to classical music and other things that I would even take into my appointments when I was having these really painful nerve conduction studies where these electrical uh, shocks were being sent through my body and I would have the music on. I would ask the nurse if she was okay with me having that music there. And I try to just adopt those principles whenever I could to, to stay in a calm 
frame of mind, um, even through the fear. Um, and so, but I'll tell you, I think that we seek when when we receive a diagnosis like this our inclination is to seek others who have the same diagnosis mm-hmm. we want to know that we're not alone we want to talk with others who are experiencing something similar but for me when i joined online facebook groups and other things with with other gbs patients i actually found them to be very depressing and it was Frankly, it was a lot of negativity and a lot of staying in the difficult moments. And so I, when we'll get to it, I'm sure, but as I made a pivot in my career to do the work that I'm currently doing as a comeback coach, I, I felt so strongly about creating the type of community that I wished I could find at that time, which was maybe others who don't share my same diagnosis but who are on a similar path of growth and renewal and who want more than a recovery. They want to come back stronger mind, body, and spirit than before and see it as an opportunity to do that. And yes, there are such difficult and painful moments, but we know that there's a way to look beyond that and to be around others who feel the same way. And that's that's really something that I thought I was lacking at the time. And that's, you know, so many people seek out that kind of victim commonality, I guess. And, and there it's okay to commiserate and express those, those feelings and those difficulties you have to, but you also have to move beyond them. So I, I can empathize with that certainly because I've seen the same thing in so many different groups, support groups. They're not very supportive. (laughs) <laughs> right. Is it your poison or is it your passion? Yeah. Is it a seed or a weed? And um, and after the work that you've done, you were able to pivot that from what was lost, from what wasn't there, what was the gap or your frustration to the motivation to do the work that you do now, to now inspire those that are survivors or are going through something very traumatic and painful in your saying, giving the message, let's rise above this together through mind, body, and spirit. Um, As I am very curious about the brain of meditation and how that changes our neurological um, pathways and to strengthen things that we didn't think were there, to uncover things that we didn't think were possible. Um, I'd like you hopefully to touch on that as well as like the rehab and journey to Hike over 500 miles, because I think that is, whew, that, that's a feat that I'd like to do, and <laughs> not without sickness, just I'd like to do it. So hopefully you can talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think so much for me was the meditation was a way to to quiet my mind, and and I still I'm still a work in progress. Let me be completely open. I I don't think that I have yet cracked the code for myself on meditation, but I love that it's a work in progress because it means that I'm becoming more centered and and listening to my intuition more than I was, and so that's something to celebrate. And I want to keep working on it. But you know, I as I have gone through this journey, and as I have worked with my own coach and begun studying pretty deeply, I find that, you know, the mind works in pictures, you know, I mean, if I was to place you at the front door of your home inside of your, your front door, and then put a blindfold on you 
and then ask you, you know, how do you get to your kitchen? Your mind would immediately be picturing where you were placing yourself in space and you would begin taking steps and thinking about how to get there, even though you could not physically see it. And so for me, I wanted to have those mental pictures that I was focusing on through that vis visualization. And so I was visualizing constantly. At first, I was visualizing literally throwing my in my driveway, walking on my own and throwing my cane into the grass. And I would get so excited about feeling into that moment, thinking about how I was going to feel when I could do that and trying to feel into it at a time when I couldn't yet do it and seeing it over and over in my mind. And then eventually I was thinking about the moment of crossing the finish line in Zion. And I, I pictured it over and over and over. And I remember sitting in a little shower chair because I wasn't able to stand and the water was rushing over me. And I was just crying in the shower with, with joy and happiness, thinking about that finish line. And so as I was going through this training, which I'll talk about in a moment of the five month training process that, you know, that led to the actual um, ultra marathon hike itself. But when I was having bad days and difficulty, there were days I really wanted to quit. I mean, I wanted to stop. This is like, it was really, really um, a strain on my body, but I would think to myself, well, I've already crossed the finish line. It's already done. So that means that I've already completed today's if I can do that and that's already finished, then today is a, what I ever I have to do today is a foregone conclusion. And I was feeling goosebumps into that. I remember going into the local REI, which is the, the outdoor store to, oh, yeah. I, I didn't have any of the gear that I needed. I didn't know about any hiking backpacks or shoes <laughs> or socks, any of it. And boy, they saw a sucker coming. I, I had to lay out a lot of money, but um I remember walking through REI and feeling like an imposter, you know, here was this person who slept through all of our workouts and now I'm coming in here like, oh, I'm an ultra endurance athlete now. But, you know, I chose to adopt that identity. I am dot, 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 an ultra endurance athlete. So what does an ultra endurance athlete do? She goes and she buys the right gear. She plans in advance for her training. She you know, gives it her all. She communicates with her coach. Like, what does that person do? Even though that was an identity that I had never adopted before. And um, so the, the meditations were a way for me to explore those mental pictures and see myself accomplishing those things. And it was, it was not a one and done. It was over and over and over and over, especially in times where I like that relapse, I was back in the hospital and I got the call that I had been accepted as an Athena. And I'm thinking, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like, how, how am I going to get there? It was not clear. There was not evidence in front of me that I was going to be able to do it. So that was kind of the first part of your question um, about the meditation. I've been diving into meditation and visualization myself, and I feel the frustration of not having evidence. <laughs> um, you know, I've, I've heard many coaches, including myself, trying to do it, you know, having an evidence journal, having a manifestation journal, um, and, and channeling energy 
uh, from the Reiki into these visualizations. And I tell you, I've been doing it, but there's some days where that frustration just kicks in, like, where is it happening? I have it in my mind, and you just keep going forward. I think that's the lesson that I'm uncovering right now. Yeah. And I think a lot of it comes down to, to self-trust. And we have to build that just like a muscle. You have to put in the reps. But when you have that compelling why, that driving force that I don't, it doesn't matter how, I just know that it's going to happen. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I also was so attracted to this idea of being able to celebrate a comeback with other survivors and to share this once in a lifetime experience with each other, you know, and I knew that this type of adventure is going to attract a certain kind of person, right? I mean, this is not something that everybody might sign up to do. And so we were on this path of training um, together to accomplish this and I wanted to place myself around other people who were that determined and were that passionate about doing the same thing. And so um, that was a piece that I was really, really drawn to in addition to the physical challenge of it all. And um, so, you know, really the, the journey was I, I went through nine months of physical therapy and occupational therapy. And then that included after the relapse, learning how to walk twice and, you know, really doing the occupational therapy with um, my hand coordination and balance and all of those different things that were severely impacted. And so in January of 2021, then I, I call it graduated. I graduated from physical and occupational therapy. And so I was finally able to drive again. And I had that independence of being able to take myself to appointments or ride to get coffee anytime I wanted to without having to depend on someone. And it was a huge celebration, but I also found out that I was losing my job of, of 20 years. And it was really, it was a job. Isn't the right word. It was really, it was ending a career that I had with this fortune 100 tech company. And it was unexpected. Um, my performance was great. It was just a layoff situation. And so I still wasn't near a hundred percent at that time. And, but I, I chose to see it like, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. I knew that I wasn't supposed to be there in my heart. I knew that it wasn't lighting me up. And so I tried to see it as a, a blessing. And um, so I started you know, working on kind of a side hustle and dipping my toe in the water. And then at the same time, being able to work up to some walks in the neighborhood and really practicing that physical activity every day, because I knew the training was going to start and there were going to be other women in the training program who were further along physically than I was. In many cases, they were years out from their illness. And so I knew I had some extra work to do to try to be able to hang in there, you know, with, with the other uh, women. So we started a five-month training program and we had, through Project Athena, a virtual coach. And we were given this training schedule, which was grueling, grueling. And some weeks were up to 20 hours a week of training. And um, it was in the Georgia heat, which is 
very oppressive with the humidity, but we were working up to a three hour stair climb. And then also um, kind of this pinnacle training weekend of hiking um, 21 miles on day one and then nine miles the second day. And so it was just building up to that through all sorts of different um, strength training. Um, I looked crazy at the gym, walking backwards on the treadmill, but building up all those muscles um, that we would need on the downhill sections um, in Zion and also required elevation, you know, making sure that we were able to, because going out to Zion, it's not just the distance, it's also climbing up and down mountains, you know, it's a, you know, a challenging terrain. So we were preparing our bodies for that. And, you know, a key to success for me is I found a training partner and I, I truly think that that enabled me to successfully complete it. It made all the difference in the world to have someone to do it with. And, um, so we took lots of selfies on mountains all over North Georgia and North Carolina. And for five months, that's what we did. And I couldn't do all that much else. I was working and parenting and all those things, but it was a top priority. And, um, my husband, you know, said to me, he said, you know, we, it was leading up to about the week before Zion. And he said, you know, I never doubt you, honey, but he said, I'm, I'm just, I can't believe you're actually going to do it. He said, I didn't doubt your ability to do it. I did doubt your actual passion to, to want to do it and to stay with it, you know, through the whole period of time. And in a lot of ways, I surprised myself, you know, with the, um, because I told myself stories before that I didn't have the discipline. And I let myself believe things like that, that probably held me back, I'm sure, in other areas of life as well. It's, it's, a, it's amazing how much of a role the mental game plays in, in all of it. And I just, I, ha, I just have a question because I've done Angel's Landing twice oh, yeah. and Zion is one of my favorite places on earth. Out of all, the, all of the places that you had to choose from, why did you pick that? There was, I don't really have a reason. It just spoke to me. I, okay. I just looked at it and I knew and, and I never questioned it. And okay. um, I... I thought that hiking was a great activity for me to embrace during the recovery because I love to be outside. I really love that form of exercise in particular. Love the quietness, being in the woods. Um, and my husband also enjoys it. So that was something that I knew I could share. Um, sure. I'm not a runner. Uh, there was another adventure that was kayaking and cycling. I'm mildly interested in that, but just the idea of, and the whole thing was it's walking, right? And so for me, there was a miracle now with every step that I could take. And so it was about one foot in front of the other, but doing that out in nature. And I felt very strongly connected to that form of exercise. If I'm going to devote all of these hours mm -hmm. and all of this energy to something, let it be this. And Zion was absolutely one of the most majestic places that I've seen. And when we made it to Zion finally, and I was in this wonderful group of about nine people, we would start the hike at 3.30 in the morning. So we'd get up about one o'clock in the morning, start at 3.30. 
under these beautiful starry skies. And then we would just book it. I mean, we hiked as quickly as we could through the dark hours to make time um, and cover miles during the coolest part. But we would go hours and hours and hours without seeing another human being. And we got to see these the back country, this area of the park that few other people on earth will ever see because it's so difficult to get to. And, you know, there was a point when I really wanted to give up, but I knew that it was either keep going or call a helicopter. I mean, that, that was really the two options. Um, So you got to keep moving, but um, it was so surreal to be hiking and then watching the sunrise come up over the canyons. And it just bathes everything in this beautiful pink light. And those are the moments that I'll never forget of seeing the majesty of that scenery as we were able to see it. There's a special energy about that place. Really. Yeah. That's it's amazing. It's amazing. And I, I think, well, and for me, I've been a cyclist for many years of my adult life. I did, I was averaging about 3000 miles a year, but I have five bikes, but I'd rather go hiking now because I don't have to worry about hauling equipment around, right? Good pair mm-hmm. of walking sticks and and some boots and you're good to go. Um, and you don't have to rely so much. You can hike in different weather yes. much more easily than you can bike and kayak and do those other things. So it's kind of an independent sort of activity, I think, too, which yes. probably felt really good to you at that point. It did. Yeah. That's amazing. So now you... So now you help others um, that have gone through medical setbacks from strokes, cancers, all kinds of debilitating um, diseases, disorders, neurological, and you help them on their path to recovery and resilience. Can you talk to us about that, your coaching practice, and also leading them to be more resilient, which is unfortunately a skill that a lot of people are not becoming used to in this day and age when we have convenience. Um, I know I felt that, but many others as well. So please. Yes, absolutely. Well, when I came back from Zion, I was thinking, well, I'll come home, celebrate this, enjoy this, and then I'll set the next goal and I'll be off to the races. But I felt this feeling of unsettledness is the best that I can describe it. And I sat in it for about a week and I was journaling about it, trying to figure out why do I feel this way? And and I finally really got quiet and, and felt very strongly that this experience, the entire experience, the good, the bad, the terrible, from the point of the illness all the way through crossing that finish line had happened for a bigger reason that I had ever uh, understood or seen to that point. And I felt that it had placed me in a very unique position to inspire and educate others who are on a journey for their own comeback. And so it came to me quickly, comeback coach. That's what I am. And so it was kind of an inconvenient nudge. I had built a business that was completely unrelated doing sustainable interior design, completely unrelated. But in my corporate career, I had mentored, I had led teams. There was, there were all of those, you know, skills there. And that was actually my favorite part of my job, being able to mentor others through their career and see them grow. And so I thought, you know what, this isn't such a leap. It really isn't such a leap for me. And so I walked away 
I walked away from my other business to be a comeback coach. And so I started working with my first client within about a week and a half of that, who is a bone marrow transplant and stage three cancer survivor, just reward and satisfaction that I feel in working with those clients is unparalleled to anything that I have felt doing any work in my life. And so I feel strongly um, that that's what I'm meant to do. And then I also think that there's a gap in the market. I think that we are so focused on the physical body when it comes to healing, but really, as Julie was saying earlier, I mean, the body is an instrument of the mind, period. And so the mind and understanding how it works, understanding how it can really guide and you can use your mind to create the life that you want, not try to get back to the person that you were before, because truly anyone who's gone through this type of a setback is different. They're changed. And so why should they be going backward to try to quote unquote, get back to normal? Mm -hmm. It really is an opportunity for them to redefine who they want to be from that point on, no matter how their physical body may look different. And so that coaching practice started out doing one-on-one -on -one, and then I will be launching in April, the comeback collective, which is an incredibly supportive community where um, we can be learning from each other, each other's stories, inspiration. And um, it is a group coaching environment where um, we can be supporting each other through the achievement of these goals and um, defining, redefining these comebacks together. So that's something I'm just absolutely thrilled about. That's amazing because our current medical system is here's a diagnosis, here's the treatment, have a nice day, you know? Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I, someone said to me once, um, behave like the person you want to become. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you're right. Who wants to go back to normal? Normal's a setting on the dryer. That's just, oh, that's so amazing. These women are so, well, I suppose, do you work primarily with women or also with men? With men as well. And the, the, I've been working with, um, men and women, mostly women, but I think that um, more than gender, it really is just attracting the type of person who is ready to redefine themselves and recognizes that as an opportunity um, and is, is ready to put in the work and um, to get that kind of growth and that kind of incredible reward to just live their best life in all areas. Also, I don't know how to answer this as well, but you had a compelling question. What's your Zion moment? I've been oh, yeah. thinking about that all day. I don't have a good answer, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm still in my 20s. Uh, ask me in 10 years. I'll definitely have a Zion moment. Julie? My Zion moment? Um, I think my Zion moment came when we were presented with the opportunity to move to Italy. I've had, I think I've had several in my life. Um, finally meeting a holistic doctor who was able to diagnose me with the Hashimoto's that I'd been obviously dealing with for years and getting shoved aside by our medical system. Not because their doctors are malicious, they just aren't equipped to deal with these things and they don't have the time. Um, but I think, I think more so because leaving behind a 25 year HR, corporate HR career to move to a foreign country um, a couple months before my 50th birthday, learn a new language, learn a new culture, and have to be faced with 
now that I can do whatever I want, what am I going to do? What do I want to be when I grow up? And, you know, I, it wasn't a a physical illness per se, that was a, a turning point for me, but I did have some difficulties with Hashimoto's flare-ups and all, you know, and then menopause hit me like a truck two months after we arrived. It just started with no warning and that was the end. I mean, that was it. It was there. Um, So yeah, I just navigating all of that while learning to speak. And I love to talk and, and not being able to communicate with people because I didn't speak the language, you know, and then trying really trying to figure out who who was I? Yes, because I, I never thought I defined myself by my career. Mm-hmm. But when I wasn't an HR professional anymore, I really wasn't anybody mm-hmm. in my mind. Yes, yes. So, so yeah, it. I think that was that was a very big turning point for me to just decide that, you know what, I want to help people live healthier lives because it's what I've always been passionate about. And I didn't figure I ever could really do it by more than a hobby. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how I was going to do it. And all of a sudden, the education opportunities started to present themselves. And, you know, and like you say, when you, and and I said this before, when you have that, I know this is what's going to happen. I don't know how, I don't know when, you know, but I know that's what the outcome is going to be the house starts to present itself. Yes. And so do all the extra obstacles that force you to be even more determined about reaching that goal. Yes, absolutely. I love that you guys put some thought into answering that question. That makes me so happy. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't. I I would have to go in deeper. Um, (laughs) Well, it could be your future, your future Zion moment even, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, definitely coming to Vietnam uh, was a major turning point. I was done working with AmeriCorps. I did that the year after university. I graduated in 2017. I worked for AmeriCorps and there were just some things that I didn't agree with, with the AmeriCorps system. I didn't want to be impoverished while I'm serving impoverished people. And that was difficult uh, living in Denver. So the year after that, I moved and made the decision Uh, to move to Vietnam, Southeast Asia. Um, Of course, on a study abroad, I met this girl that now is my wife. And it was a a message of a lot of clarity, the most clear message within my life. Um, And I never had one since, and I never had one before that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was that journey, that pivotal moment of visualization that I had in university of the top of this mountain that in our small city that we're in, it was clear as day. Um, And that's been the motivation for me to improve myself, to be in a place of purpose and passion and doing what I love with the work that I love and serving and also to create other purposeful moments for not only myself, but whoever I have contact with and a connection with. And if there's anything less, then I don't want to be a part of it. And of course, I'm still growing and I'm still doing a lot of these um, tools and techniques and practices to further my own growth. In my perspective, if we're not growing, if we're only in the state of normalcy, which is so frustrating to me and it's a gap, then 
I, I want no part of it. I want to be growing. I want to be thriving and I want others to be. And if they're motivated like that, th then that's just the perfect uh, ideal day. Yeah, I, I think that sounds like a Zion moment. All right. <laughs> I think so too. All right. I think that so too. Good. One of my favorite sayings, and my dad used to say it all the time, and I, I don't know whose it is. I'm sure it's not his own philosophy, but it's when you're green, you grow, and when you're ripe, you rot. Mm -hmm. And because you want to be a lifelong learner, you want to continue to grow and become that person that maybe will never reach that point because the end point is the end point, mm -hmm. but it's good to have that focus on growth. It doesn't mean you can't be happy and successful with who you are now, but it does mean there's also room for, for growth and, and uh, betterment. Well, on a lighter note, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's have a, a lesser important question. What's your guilty pleasure? <laughs> right now my guilty pleasure so there are these dark chocolate <clears throat> peanut butter cups and in the u.s they're sold at trader joe's uh but they are absolutely incredible and then my genius husband had the idea to put them in the freezer and so they're kind of cold and um so if i'm especially if i'm doing some work at night or i'm you know, really working hard, he'll kind of sneak into the room and like plop a few of those chocolate, <laughs> the dark chocolate peanut butter cups uh, next to me and we're a go to keep on. Uh, so those are, that's some brain food right there. I love it. I love it. I need <laughs> to do that myself. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Is there anything else you'd like to share? And, you know, if, if nothing else, tell, tell our listeners where they can find you and how they can learn about your new program. Absolutely. So I would ask you to go out to Instagram and follow me at your comeback coach. And when you're out there, you'll see that I have access to free resources. I do weekly videos on all sorts of different topics around building and understanding your mind and preparing for your own comeback, helping you define that comeback so that we can celebrate that together. So at your comeback coach, um, or you can, you know, send me a DM. I would love to connect with you there. Um, hear a little bit about your own uh, comeback journey and um, yeah, come in and, uh, and check out everything that's out there for you. Wonderful. Very nice. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for coming on today, for sharing your story, sharing all about your just your passion and your resiliency through this journey and being a comeback coach and coming back yourself. And I hope you do come back to the podcast and share other things that you're working on. I would love to update. <laughs>